We can't buzz him up. Someone has to go down. Ah, okay. Starting on my left with one, your number comes up, you go. Just so you know, Jeff, you are now creating six different timelines. Of course I am, Abed. Welcome to Gimmicks, a podcast about the high-concept, experimental, structure-breaking gimmick episodes of TV, from musicals to noirs to stories told over seven different timelines. I'm Derek B. Gale, and who's with me today? Uh, it's Tommy. I was going to say something witty, but then I didn't, um, and it's just me. It's Tommy. Aw, you should have done the one that you <laughs> planned for. Rock Sad. <laughs> hey, Tommy, can I interest you in some toilet olives? Uh, are they? Have they been re- refilled recently? They it, well, it is a fancy party after all, so of <laughs> course. We are talking about the very famous installment of Community, season three, episode either three or four, depending on where you watch. I'll get into that later. Entitled Remedial Chaos Theory. Just very briefly, if you're unfamiliar with the show Community, it was a sitcom created by Dan Harmon that aired from 2009 to 2015 for five seasons on NBC and then a final sixth season on the now defunct Yahoo screen, uh, which was a nightmare to watch things on. And I understand why it is now <laughs> defunct. It follows a uh, the, the basic plot follows a group of misfits who meet and form a close knit study group slash stand in family while attending Greendale Community College, which is full of wacky characters and fourth wall breaking pop culture homage laden adventures. Very famous for it's like very meta, but still like heavily character based humor. Uh, it's pretty groundbreaking use of genre shifts and concept episodes. Uh, and also it's, it's known for it's like stacked cast of actors. They're either very recognizable at the time like Joel McHale or Chevy Chase uh, or Ken Jeong, or they were unknowns at the time who've since become like huge breakout stars like Donald Glover, Alison Brie, Gillian Jacobs, Danny Pudi, Yvette Nicole Brown. Never not been a bad cast member on this show, pretty much. But before we go deeper into this uh, this very dense episode, Tommy, what is your personal history with community? Uh I could go in so many different directions with that. Uh, funny oh, enough, so many different timelines. There's so many different timelines uh, for for my uh, watching of Community. I was thinking about it actually uh, just before we hopped on, and I think if I remember correctly, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Derek, but I think when we were in college was when it first premiered, yeah. mm-hmm. and I remember watching like the first couple of episodes, season or whatever, and I feel like I told you I was like, hey, you should check out this show initially, and then I did what I do with a lot of shows, and I just stopped watching it and then you continued watching it and you were like no this is so good you need to go back to watching it uh, <laughs> i think something like that happened I I, yeah maybe i, I don't because i know we were watching around the same time yeah. because we both watched the soup which is where joel mm-hmm. McHale kind of got his big break on so i was at least aware of it that's right I, yeah i don't remember who watched it first so i believe you that you watched it first and got me to watch it but i definitely watched it throughout the entire first season and then fell off of it a bit during season two, even though it was incredibly good. I think it was just being busy with like college and stuff, yeah. but 
But then we collectively, like our friend group, I think, like got got into it because of the DVDs coming out, and then we're watching it consistently as it aired since then. Yeah, and and it, something I, I don't know what it was, but I mean, I just do that with TV shows sometimes and just fall off. But then, I, yeah, you were you had kind of said like at some point, like yeah, we need to like keep watching this because it's so good, and it was one of like a bunch of different TV shows like at the time that we were mm-hmm. uh super into and then it ended up becoming probably I, I mean I think it's safe to say it's one of my favorite shows at this point I've it's mm-hmm. it's definitely one of the shows that I've rewatched the most I think it it in Parks and Rec for me are probably like the two that I like two TV shows that I've like rewatched fully through more than any sure. other shows and then the other thing I will say is that <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned the Yahoo season because when it did the jump to Yahoo, I all, kind of fell back off of it there as well. I like yeah. watched like one or two episodes and was like, mm-hmm. eh, like I don't want to deal with this interface and whatever. It's, it was horrendous. It was truly a nightmare. Really to watch bad. On it. <laughs> um, and and I, I remember even and again. Then you were just kind of like, no, it's still re- like th- there's a lot of good stuff in this season. And I just kind of like wrote it off and it wasn't until it actually wasn't until more recently that I actually finished like the Yahoo season, I think. Yeah. And they, you're like totally right. Like there was a lot of really cool stuff in that. So um, yeah. and and then recently, more recently, I started just putting it on in the background. again. It's a great like just background show that you can have on one of those just kind of, you know, sitcoms that you don't have to. There's a lot of stuff to think about. But then also, if you've seen it a bunch of times, you can just yeah. have it on in the background and just kind of connect with it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's so fast paced and it's just like there's always something happening on screen. So it's mm-hmm. really easy. If you just need background noise, there's just lots of fast talking and funny jokes happening like a mile a minute in it at all, any given time. So, it, And it's also and I'm sure we'll get into this, but it's also just so unlike the arc of this show is just so unlike any other shows. Right. Mm-hmm. Where it like starts off so incredibly grounded and then just goes in such wild directions right like yeah you know just into some like <laughs> supernatural stuff and you know like this episode like is is i i people would argue that it's kind of verging onto science fiction right even though you could also say that it's just like a dream thing too like they're very smart about their genre shifts where it does all technically you could all explain everything is taking place in reality, but it's a heightened enough reality that like it still verges onto like magical sci-fi stuff sometimes without fully breaking it because there's always a kind of logical explanation to everything that's happening in it. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just so, it's such a fascinating show. And then I, and even thinking about, I mean, when you're talking about gimmick episodes and, and episodes that are (laughs) just break the mold I mean, there's so many episodes from Community that kind of fit that <laughs> that entire thing. Like, you do an entire uh, – just – you could do the entire show as just one episode of, you know, Truly. of your, your podcast. <laughs> I mean, it, it really is. There's, there's a few shows that are – few shows and episodes of shows that are sort of the foundation for this podcast. For me personally, not so much like the idea of gimmick or high-concept episodes. Though I think you could argue Community, community is that just in general – for like modern TV, but Mm -hmm. for this podcast, there were certain things that like I had in mind that made me want to dive deep onto this as a concept. Like Buffy is one of them. Um, There's a couple of other ones that I will 
mention whenever I get to those in my podcast. Um, but Buffy is one of them that there will have been an episode on. And then community is one of the other foundational ones. And it's, it's because it is really like, this is one of those few shows where like anyone could probably come to me and have a pitch for any given episode of mm-hmm. community and say, I think this is why this episode would fit your podcast. Like there are very few episodes that wouldn't, I think. Um, and there's an argument probably, probably for all of them. Um, Cause it is a show that like, I think for a lot of younger people, especially it kind of can teach you about how TV and story structure works in a lot of ways because it is always constantly sort of commenting on what it's doing at any given time yeah. and what it's referencing at any given time. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so just self-referential all the time. Mm-hmm. And, and, and what's just so funny about that is it, I feel like, and I, and I could be wrong, but I feel like this is the first episode where it really kind of really runs with that, right? Like where it really just says, like, we're going to do like this highest of concept kind of thing. I'm sure there's one or two before it that happened. I mean, I know the paintball um, episodes, the mm-hmm. pillow forts and stuff like that, but... Well- I think it's like there I think I was I, I wanted to do this episode first of community because there's a lot of great examples of of the show that are that are riffing on archetypes of like high concept episodes already like they're purposely doing a genre episode or they're purposely doing a clip show episode mm-hmm. um, or something like that. But this this is a particular one that's kind of interesting because I think that it really is truly trying to take a general concept. There are episodes of TV that I'll get, get into kind of the history of that have done sort of split timeline type things, but not in the way that this episode does it. And I think it really was a lot less about commenting on television culture or television history Um like most past concept episodes did and more trying to find the highest of high concepts and tell a story that fits these particular characters really well for it and sort of mold that concept around the characters rather than just saying, let's stick the characters in a clip show or stick the characters in a bottle episode or stick the characters in like a a conspiracy theory movie or something like that. Yeah, for sure. hundred percent. It's clear to all of you that I am awesome. This is Jeff. Whoa, the guy who's playing on his iPhone all class has a study group? This is his study group. All ready to study all night. Well, I can stay at least till 10. And this fall... This is kind of like Breakfast Club, huh? Is it breakfast? They're turning to each other. You remind me of myself at your age. I deserve that. And finding things in common. You know what makes humans different from other animals? Feet. No, come on, bears have feet. Community, coming Thursdays this fall to NBC. We've already kind of touched on it, but so the gimmick of this episode specifically um, is that we were basically watching the same few minutes play out over seven different timelines throughout the episode. So each were basically little segments that are the same period of time, only a few minutes, um, but we're seeing different events all spawning based on which member of the group leaves for those few minutes to go get a pizza, right? So I was sort of interested in like, where this concept maybe came from originally because this community isn't the first time it's done like the idea of like alternate timelines or anything. Um, But in terms of like story structure wise, I think the earliest instance that I was able to find uh, was a play by JB Priestley from uh, 1932 called dangerous corner. Um, This is a little bit of a tenuous connection, but I think this is where like the nugget of it sort of, comes because um, that the play was also adapted into a film and novel if you've heard of it but um, basically the sort of concept of that play is that we watch this entire story play out where people are at a party one person makes this remark um, that causes a chain of events that like 
just cause tons of tragedy. There's like death and like businesses going under, everything goes badly, right? And then at the very end of the play, spoiler for this play from the 30s, <laughs> but at the very end of the play, we rewind back to the beginning of Act One, see the same events at the beginning play out, but the person doesn't make that remark that's caused those chains of chain of events. Um, so then we see just it ends with everyone just having a good time and nothing bad happens. So it's sort of like just this germ of an idea of like, what if one little event can sort of create this butterfly effect that changes everything and you as an audience get to see it play out in two different ways, right? That play, the majority of it is the bad timeline. Mm -hmm. So it's more like the twist ending of it is the alternate timeline of it or whatever. But I, I feel like that's kind of where that idea comes from. And then you start to see it pop up occasionally in movies in like a more expanded way. Like in 87, there's a Polish film called blind chance, which is about three different timelines that you see in succession that all spawn from one single event. Um, And then probably even more famous than that, uh, or in 1998, there were two movies, uh, the German movie Run Lola Run, which uh, retells the same events three different times with different events happening in those three timelines. Also that same year, an American film called Sliding Doors with Gwyneth Paltrow, which basically has like one mundane decision uh, whether she makes her train or not. And then we see two alternate timelines um, like alternating with each other throughout the movie of how different her life is just based on that one event. And, and I think that like that really is like what creates almost this entire concept of alternate timelines or maybe not creates it, but like codifies it. Right. Like that's what uh, what you start seeing other TV shows do riffs on it. And they even call it the sliding doors episode or the split timeline episode. There are episodes of like Frasier and Malcolm in the Middle and Scrubs, um, the entire premise of the show Awake, where it's basically showing two parallel timelines that spawn from one event and seeing the differences based on that one event. Um, the thing that makes community stand out is that it's not two parallel timelines. It's seven. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> yeah. And from what I can tell, I think any, anything that has anything in media that has ever done the split timeline story community is the one that has done the most in one story that has done seven of them rather than two or three. I think the other thing that makes it stand out too, is that uh, Dan Harmon said that he he drew some inspiration from other stuff. In addition, he's referenced Sliding Doors. He's referenced Run, Lola, Run. He's also referenced Rashomon, um, episodes of The X-Files and The Simpsons, um, and also that aforementioned Malcolm in the Middle episode for inspiration. Um, I don't think he said it, but I feel like there's definitely Groundhog Day inspiration too. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that like all of those stories that he's referencing. I think the X-Files episode is the, the Bad Blood one, which is kind of a Rashomon episode. I think the Simpsons one, it's probably the Trilogy of Error episode. And like, those aren't split timeline ones. Those are looking at the same events from different perspectives. So I think like what this episode sort of does is combines these sort of two sides of the same coin, right? You can have either plot-centric split timeline story where it's one event changes everything butterfly effect kind of idea seeing how plot events will change based on one minor like variable or you can have the same events told from the perspective of different characters which is the more character centric version community kind of combines those two so you have like in community's episode the variable isn't a plot event the variable is the absence of a character and then the timeline events any events that happen in each timeline are just based on like that that character's role in their group or that their role in the story which i think makes this episode really distinct from a lot of the more plot heavy versions of it yeah and so first of all, <laughs> I knew that the, like for some reason, 
I didn't connect like Run Lola Run or like Rashomon mm-hmm. like as like potential inspiration things, but like makes total sense. Um, I I also it's it sounds like even even with all of the inspiration that this episode in particular draws, it's still fairly like novel in how it mm-hmm. it does what it does which is, is fascinating to me because i kind of came into this expecting it to be like oh this is just a takeoff of like this has been done like x y and z different times which mm-hmm. it has like in a different way but just not in the same way where all of these things are connected which is kind of fascinating um like yeah. i said I, I i i i half expected like for you to just be like oh yeah this was like a episode of like i don't know i i love lucy or some some, some <laughs> something random yeah. Because it normally is with yeah. community. They usually are pulling from something, ver- a couple of very specific things and then just find a good way to like have character development within that. But this is one where it is like there are definitely inspirations for it. And it is kind of like it is a concept that exists, but like their take on it is so wildly different from anything you've ever seen. And I've still never really seen an episode done like this. I've seen stuff made after this that goes back to the two timeline sliding doors kind of style of it, because I think that this one where it's seven timelines and 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 the things sort of build on each other, like you learn more about the characters as an audience throughout each timeline, like that feels kind of unprecedented. Yeah. And I was just going to say that too, where it's like, it, it's easy. It would be easy for like you to have the prime timeline, right? Which is the, the timeline that occurs the, the real timeline. Yeah. And, and everything else is just kind of like, Oh, this is just fun stuff. Like what if kind of stuff, but it really like those things feel like they drive the characters forward in a lot of ways. Like you get a, a deeper look at a couple of the characters relationships. You get Britta and Troy's relationship. You get a look at uh, Troy and Pierce's relationship. You get a look at all the characters relationships, like in just different ways through these like little mm-hmm. tiny nuggets. Um, and I think it's, I think that that's fascinating and it's not stuff that is just tossed aside because it all kind of comes back later on in future episodes too. Like all of it, yeah. all of the strands that they kind of, n- not necessarily like those things don't still happen in like the same timeline, but like a lot of the strands of like the emotional tension and things like that are still present in future episodes, which yeah. is really, really cool. And it's a really cool way to to kind of pull that out of the characters and pull that out of the story in such a just kind of absurd story structure, which it is. I mean, it, like in, in the nice, not not in a mean way is it an absurd story structure, but it is just an out there story structure. Yeah, I mean, that is a really good point. I, I think it's 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 wild that like, this is the first episode that I, I think brings up the Brita Troy dynamic as a romantic thing. It technically, all of their sparks in this episode happen in timelines that don't exist, but you as an audience are made aware that there are sparks now. So then you're looking for them in future episodes as they end up developing that relationship. And then they do actually get together from it. And it's wild that it spawns from some events that don't actually happen technically in reality, which is, which is so interesting. Yeah. And, and they even, they do a, they obviously reference back to uh, the darkest timeline a lot in the show. They do reference the other timelines maybe not all of them but i know that they reference in kind of the the post or the end credits sequences that they have so in one of the future episodes they have kind of a look at troy and britta they're kind of like checking in on the timelines and troy and britta i can't remember what season it is or what episode it is but they troy and britta have like are married and they have a baby 
Um, yeah. And it's just like it's just like a random thing, and it's from that timeline where they were more deeply connected, which is really yeah. interesting. So it's just it's just really fun, a fun way to just really give the characters kind of more kind of emotional uh, dynamics and and yeah. and show it in just a way that is purely community. Like there's no other way to describe it other than it's that like it's that show's kind of like way to show that kind of stuff. Yeah, because they're all still very authentic emotional moments when they happen. It's just the context in which they're all happening is so bizarre and absurd. And yeah, and and it's all kind of you're you're all stacking these events on top of each other as they're happening, even though they're not happening in the same realities the whole time. Yeah, and it's uh, it's really incredible. And I also think, and uh, I'm sure we'll talk about this in a second, but it, it, there's also some really interesting stuff that it says about the the this the entire dynamics of the group itself when they're in kind of the prime timeline. Like there, it's, there's some really cool kind of things that you can derive from that of just yeah. being like the fact that how it kind of breaks down when they figure out kind of the, mm-hmm. the twist kind of at the end. Um, mm-hmm. And, and you really get a really good look at how like the care, the, the group dynamic really works and, Oh, it, and it kind of even touches on like the overarching story structure like of the show (laughs) yeah yeah i I definitely have some stuff to say at the end of that's going to cop up throughout the discussion i think it's it's interesting this episode what what people were pulling from it at the time that it came out and analyzing and then i think what you can sort of pull from it once you've seen the whole show and see everyone's sort of character arcs and the whole arc of the show play out that i think this episode some of my views on this episode honestly have kind of changed um not in like a good or bad way just like in interesting ways Mm -hmm. um after watching all, all the way through the end but um, some background stuff on this episode in particular, um, it <laughs> the audio commentary for this episode on the DVD is very good. I would very much recommend it if you're like interested in just the making of the show. Um, but uh, Dan Harmon and uh, episode writer Chris McKenna are both on it. Um, they called this episode a monster, <laughs> that it's the most uh, most difficult thing they've ever done in the writer's room. Um, I'm not surprised. Yeah. Um, but I mean, they reference specifically like how every character has to have something to say and do that's like distinct. Uh, but can also pay off later in later timelines, but also still feel organic and would be like interesting to hear and see six different times over and over again. But also all of those things have to happen kind of without a real plot because it has to be loose enough that you can have different events playing throughout each timeline. Um, and so that's, that's a wild balancing act. And because it was such a monster, uh, it took an incredibly long time to make. They said it took like ultimately from beginning of writing to like, completion of it it took six months which is unheard of for a sitcom episode said about three directors too there's only one credited director but i think they would have to bring in some other mainstay ones to like do some coverage and everything um it took so much time that it actually delayed uh it actually delayed its airing a week because they were still filming some extra bits editing it they had to finish the visual effects so that's why this episode was intended to air as episode three which is how it's ordered on the dvd um, but it was aired as the fourth episode. So streaming services have it in there at that order. Um, and there's some like little continuity things like they've referenced stuff from this episode in, in the episode that aired before it basically, because they were supposed to be switched. Um, and also in the beginning of this episode, there's like this line that was dubbed over at the last minute. Cause the apartment number for Troy and Abed is three Oh three, which is the episode number. And Britta yeah. and Annie are like, is it, is it three Oh three or three Oh four? I don't remember. And that was like a last minute dub that they added in just to, to reference the reordering thing. That's that's hilarious, and I, it's funny when I was rewatching it today. I was I was 
I was watching out for that because I was like, wait a second. I was like, I know 303 is supposed to be like season three, episode three, but this is episode four. And I remember there being something like funky about that. And then I heard the line and I was like, okay, there's got to be something about that. So I love that they did that because of course they did. Why wouldn't they have something super self-referential that they put in the week that it's airing? Like that's dubbed over. (laughs) And they know that their fans are smart enough to catch on. So they would like figure it out. You know, I think people figured out the time like, oh, that's a reference. Cause 'cause, yeah. Cause I think people, people were, especially during this point, cause like season two and three were sort of, I think like the critical high point for the show. So people were like really going over every episode with like a fine tooth comb. Mm-hmm. So people were picking up on any inconsistencies that popped up. So when they were building this episode, it's, have you ever heard uh, or read about like when Dan Harmon talks about his story circles, like the way that he writes stuff. I think I've, I feel like I remember him talking about it on a podcast. I listened to a long time ago, but I don't, I don't remember any details about it. It's one of those things that I think sounds very helpful for him. And I think it would be very helpful for other writers. I'm don't find it that interesting, but I think it's, I mean, I should amend that. I don't find it that I wouldn't find that very helpful for like, my writing but i think if you're trying to like have very structured character arcs like it makes sense it's basically like his adapted version of the hero's journey i don't know if he exactly invented it but at least like i think this version of it he claims is like his thing um but it's basically like a, a story circle it's like a version of the hero's journey but instead of it being like a heroic journey it's more like a general character progression that's basically meant to be full circle like a sitcom character so they still end up at the place where they started but changed so it's like a circle of like eight different um prongs it's uh first one's a character is in a zone of comfort number two they want something number three they enter an unfamiliar situation number four they adapt to it number five they get what they wanted number six they pay a heavy price for it number seven then they return to their familiar situation number eight having changed so basically a way to like have your full circle sitcom episodes where the status quo is back in place but the characters have changed that's how you can kind of have like small bits of character development, even in a show that can't have like gigantic shifts in a status quo, like you would in a sitcom, which is why like this show is really well known for having a lot of character development, even though there's still for at least the first four seasons, the same study group in the same community community college. Right. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I only bring that up because one thing that's fun about this episode is that they tried to like still have those story circles for every single character. Oh God. But, like, tracking their sort of story circles across timelines, there's pictures of this of the dry erase wars they had in their writer's room with these story circles. I have looked at them, and I cannot fucking parse anything on it. It's like It looks like a mess, but it seemed to have helped them. But it, it, the, the impression that I get is that they still tried to, like, piece together all the stuff you learn of you learn as an audience about them and sort of plot them into a story circle. So even though you only maybe get little pieces of each character's story circle per timeline based on the small events that happen, you still would sort of maybe see a complete journey for all of them. If you were to like merge all of it together, you know, Mm -hmm. it's just that the way things play out, we only see little pieces at a time, potentially even out of order. I just find that kind of fascinating because I think that one thing that's interesting about this episode, like I said, is that, they do this multi-timeline thing, but in, even though there are events that happen, it is very character-centered. It's really based on what the characters say and do and how they act rather than stuff happening to them in each timeline. And I think it's really rooted in how they structured writing this. Yeah, and it's funny. As you were describing that, I was just like, yeah, this is <laughs> this feels just like n- – no offense to Dan Harmon, but it really just feels like a boiled-up version of like the hero's journey. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, absolutely. 
I think that he would. I mean, I have I, Dan Harmon is a complicated figure for a few reasons, mm-hmm. but I do think that he would admit that to that being all this is too. I don't think that he would deny yeah. that, but I do think it is unusual to see that so prominently used in like a sitcom. Oh no, I think that's Abs- the point. Absolutely, and I think it's I think it's one of the reasons why this I, I community for for a lot of different reasons probably stands out as one that is both rewatchable and like for me personally like it's just one that's that's really interesting to rewatch like it's not just rewatchable in the sense that like you know you can just kind of even though i I literally said it's one that i can just put on in the background but it's also (laughs) one that you can sit and kind of like catch something new even if you've watched it like seven different times and same thing with this with this particular episode too i will say God bless them for uh, trying to do that level of detail with character arcs in a an episode where the segments for each each character are, for each timeline are only like what like maybe four minutes at most. I think so. Yeah, like, it's still a twenty two minute episode of television. I like. I just cannot like that is I it also like highlights not to get too into like behind the scenes stuff, but like, I know that like the networks, like they had like a lot of like butting of heads with like community and stuff like that. I can see why, especially considering that like you were a week late on this episode (laughs) because it was so high concept and so hard to put together. And it was like, I mean, it turned out great and like the, the end product speaks for itself, but like I, it kind of like illuminates a little bit more of why the, the network would be like, you know that, like, your show isn't pulling in that much as far as, like, metrics uh-huh. and stuff like that, and you're going to be a week late on an episode? <laughs> like, I mean, this is the season that Dan Harbin got fired on. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> I, <laughs> it's like, I'm not, not to say that I love siding with the executives, but, like, I understand their rationale, like, from a business perspective, you know? For sure. <laughs> for sure. Um, yeah. <laughs> If you found yourself depressed over the lack of new community episodes, just hold on. Hobbit, hey, hey, buddy, it's gonna be okay. It will be okay because a whole new season's about to begin, and now with added John Goodman. What's up? And he's got away with the words. You wanted to feel real power this year. Now you're going to feel my power straight through you from nostril to rectum, now until the end of time, and that's what's up. Well, if there's only one thing you remember about the new season, we're gonna have more fun, be less weird than the first two years combined. We're always gonna wind up laughing. (laughs) (laughs) The season premiere of Community, Thursday, September 22nd on NBC. But yeah, I mean, so this episode was a beast. Uh, Harmon says in the commentary, I I do think it's kind of fun. He's just like he was saying by the time, like, I think because they were so in it for so fucking long, like longer than any other episode I think they ever produce for this show. Like there, he was saying like by a certain point, I didn't know whether I didn't even know whether or not people were even going to like this episode at all. Like you just don't know at a certain point if what you're doing is even worth it at all. And you just trudge along just to finish it and get it to air. <laughs> and then he's like, well, now I watch it and go well, like, oh, oh, of course it's fantastic. Of course everyone loves it. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, I'm sure like, but at a certain point it's sort of like, is this worth it for this one episode of television? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the answer is yes. <laughs> did they? Did they? In that, uh, that was in the commentary, right? Did they mm-hmm. talk at all about the 
because like that was specifically the writing process was difficult. They talk about the filming process for this one being yes. difficult too. I mean, that's why it took six months. Okay. Three directors. Yeah. There's a ton. I know like Yvette Nicole Brown said that just like her being squirted with blood in the darkest timeline took like five different takes, but with something like that, she'd have to get cleaned up, have to oh, have her no. makeup reapplied, do it again. They're like, it's still not good enough. Cleaned up, makeup reapplied. So it's like, a full day of shooting just for one like half a second shot of her getting blood squirted in her face because every because it's all so chaotic and and some of there's points when they're talking because like a few of the actors are on it and sometimes they're just like I don't remember who was there when I filmed this like I know that I di- I know that I did it but like was I the only one there people oh. were reacting I truly don't remember oh god <laughs> and I know that like I know that they. Correct me if I'm wrong, but they they reused some of the shots. Like some of the stuff yeah. was reused, but like I know they probably had to film stuff like multiple times. Like yeah, and I could I could just imagine just kind of kind of going a little bit crazy, like or getting in your head about like no, we did this already, and it's like no no no, this is for like timeline five, and it's like. What timeline did I film before? Like, (laughs) well, they even said, I think it was a vet, Nicole Brown again, who was saying that like just the opening sequence of them, of Jeff, like explaining the die thing, rolling it, Nabed saying, you're now creating six different timelines. They said that they actually shot that from every possible angle in the event that in each timeline, they would show it from a different angle, but then still opted (laughs) to just use the same shot over and over again. And I mean, she was even saying that she was, they were like, is that is that a complaint event? Event? Are you complaining right now about it? And she's just like, no, I'm just making an observation about how the filming is done. <laughs> oh wow! I need to I need to actually uh, listen to that commentary yeah. for that episode because that sounds fascinating. Yeah, it's uh, it sounds wild. It's funny too because like people have called this episode a bottle episode, um, but like, and we talked about it on the Seinfeld episode that you were on, where like. I think they they would call it that because a lot of people think a bottle episode is just an episode that takes place in one location, which is often true, but it also bottle episodes are meant to be very cheap. And this episode maybe seems cheap because they're filming it in one location, but I think it is one of the most expensive episodes of the show because of how long it went on. Yeah. And also getting the rights to Roxanne, they said like killed their music budget too. Like that song was incredibly expensive to get and play it over and over again. And then I think that's one main reason why it became a recurring gag that people were always playing or humming daybreak over and over again was because they didn't have the rights to any other music. So you just hear daybreak over and over again because they did have the rights to that song so not only i mean this this episode had story repercussions that rippled throughout the rest of the series but it also had like actual like implications like for the fact that they couldn't afford other music and so that became a thing that's so funny and that's wild that's such a community thing too that's so amazing really is yeah it's the story of this story of this show just breaking the bank for the minorest of things that i can't say aren't worth it because i don't think that i could picture this episode without roxanne playing throughout the entire episode no well and and when you think about it too i mean this and it wouldn't things would have (laughs) there's so many things that like are popping into my head now as i'm saying this but it's like things would have changed in like the community storyline, like had this episode not happened, right? Oh, like yeah, they, yeah. There, there's other episodes that rely so heavily on the darkest timeline later on in the future. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's just like a mention. Sometimes it's like an actual full episode. So yeah. it, it not only is like th- this episode ended up becoming like kind of very structurally important for the rest of the show as well. Yeah. 
Yeah. And it still stands alone as its own episode yeah. too. Even if you disregard everything that came after it and just watch this one episode, it's like such an incredibly strong, funny episode of TV, which a lot of people at the time recognize because the legacy of this episode is like also off the chain. Like it received critical acclaim instantly. Uh, it was very frequently regarded at the time and still is either one of the best, if not the best episode of the whole show. Um, outlets like Time and Salon ranked it among the best episodes of 2011. National Post, Parade, and The Ringer all listed it as one of the best episodes of the 2010s as an entire decade. There was also a poll on Vulture in 2012 where uh, voters declared it the greatest sitcom episode of all time. I think that that was a recency bias thing because yeah. it was a year after it aired. I don't think people would vote for it like that much again. Although I still think it would probably make it pretty high. And also, I do think it still speaks to how beloved this episode was at the time that it came out. Yeah, I, I'm thinking because like the greatest sitcom episode. I don't know if I would rank this as like the greatest sitcom episode specifically because it is so like structure breaking. I feel yeah. like the greatest sitcom episode would have to be something that is like very, very much like a sitcom episode, you know, like, yeah, it's like, it's almost incomparable. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like it, now if you're saying like, is this the best episode in a sitcom? Maybe like I, I could get on board with that. And again, that, yeah. then that becomes like really subjective, but at the same time calling it like the best sitcom episode, I feel like it's, it's kind of like, Anyway, we don't have to go down that route, like that route, but like it is, I, I, I can see why people would rank it as that because it is yeah. a very, like you were saying, it is a very great standalone episode and it's just a really good, fun episode to watch. And, and it's also one of the ones that you just catch so much every time that you rewatch it. Yeah. Yeah. It's so it's community is always a fast paced, dense show. This episode is like 10 times more dense than any episode of this show ever is. Like if you uh, blink, you're going to miss something like, yeah. Yeah. It's like almost daunting if you're trying to like pay attention to it. It's so much happening in it. Mm -hmm. um, this is one also one of the few episodes that I think got like more widespread mainstream recognition as well. So Chris McKenna, the episode's writer, um, he received a Pan American association of film and television journalists, PAAFTJ award, horrific name and acronym for an award, but it's cool that he received the, that award uh, the for writing this episode. The path, the path, the I'm sure it's prestigious and great. Uh, good <laughs> job. He also was nominated for a writing Emmy. The only time this show was ever nominated for a writing Emmy for its entire run. And one of only three Emmys it was ever nominated for. The only two other Emmys it was nominated for were for stunt coordination and they never won any of them. That is fascinating to me because I feel like writing alone, I feel like they should have at least been nominated a couple uh -huh. of other times. Do you want to know what it lost to? Uh, do I want to know what it lost to? I think you know the answer to that question. Uh -huh. It lost to uh, the very now cursed show, Louie. Oh, God. Oh, no. To be fair, I, I loved Louie at the time. I do think it like was, yeah. I mean, if you separate, I mean, you can't separate Louis C.K. out of that show, but like it is, it is like a good show, but it's just like, oh God. Knowing, <laughs> knowing what we know now, it's, yeah. it's awful. Back it's, then it made sense. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. It made sense at the time. And, you know, critics, critics were all over that show. I think it won a, it won a ton of Emmy. It had a long run of winning a ton of Emmys while, while it was on also two episodes of parks and rec that season were nominated, like the debate episode and the season four finale, which are both very good episodes. So like it was a pretty stat competition that year, at least. Yeah. The episode was also nominated for a Hugo award for best short form dramatic presentation lost that year to the doctor who episode, the doctor's wife, which is the Neil Gaiman episode. That also is a very good one. So, like, I don't, I'm not mad about them losing to that episode yeah. of Doctor Who. It's also fascinating that it lost to Doctor Who. Like, yeah. Eight. I mean, the fact that it was nominated for like a sci fi fantasy award yeah. in general is oh, I didn't bananas. Even, I didn't even put that together. Like, yeah. that's a Hugo award. Like, my God. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. That's so yeah. funny. Uh huh. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's either way, even though it didn't win as many awards as, as I think it certainly deserved, it's still. Great legacy spawned tons of gifts that are popular to this day. Darkest timeline as a concept has been like adapted colloquially. Like that's what people call the last few years. Even if people don't even know that it came from community potentially. Um, honestly, like one of the fun, one of the funniest lines that Harmon said on the community to me is that he said, if there's one bad thing about this episode, it's that it set the bar way too high. <laughs> Yeah, I would say so. I would say so too. Well, why don't we why don't we actually talk about the episode? you want to watch this episode and i definitely say that you should because there's a lot of this is all this is going to be a hard one to like describe because <laughs> yeah. there's a lot happening so i i try to structure this podcast like with people with it in mind that people might be listening who haven't seen the episode and this might prompt them to watch it this is one case so i'm just like y'all just gotta watch it beforehand i can't i'm not going to be able to tell you everything that happens in it sorry um but if you want to it's available for streaming on netflix hulu and on dvd the synopsis per imdb for this episode is at abed and troy's housewarming party jeff decides to let the decision on who gets the pizza rest on the roll of the dice leaving abed to contemplate six alternate realities i guess so uh, the original air date for this episode was October 13th, 2011. It was written by, as I mentioned, Chris McKenna. Uh, he wrote a number of community episodes, including the first clip show episode and the series finale, uh, uh, some other heavy hitters as well. Um, and he's gone on to uh, write on things like American Dad, uh, Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle, the Lego Batman movie, Ant-Man and the Wasp, and the entire MCU Spider-Man trilogy. Uh, so he's doing just fine. Oh, I had no <laughs> idea he was writing on the uh Spider-Man trilogy. Wow. Yeah. A lot of people from community have gone on to work in the MCU, either as writers or directors, um, like the Russo brothers are the ones who directed like infinity war and Endgame and, and a lot of, and civil war. And they were, they got their start. I guess they got their start on, on arrested development and then did a bunch on community as well. So it's, it's weird how much community blood is in the MCU actually. This episode was directed by Jeff Melman. Like I said, they said they had like three directors working on it, but he's the credited director. And I guess the one who probably did like the majority of the shooting originally. Um, This is actually his only community episode, interestingly. Um, But he has, he's directed 
on a ton of stuff, uh, especially sitcoms. He's been directing on TV since the 80s. He's directed on Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Frasier, Beverly Hills 90210, Malcolm in the Middle, Two and a Half Men, Happy Endings, Modern Family, just basically every like major sitcom that's ever existed. So like they still got a very well-versed director to direct this episode. So I'll try to walk us through the best I can. <laughs> um, we'll just take it timeline to timeline, I think is the easiest thing to do. I'll just, I'll bring out the plot beats and then we can talk about our favorite stuff from it. Yeah. Um, so the episode starts off in what we will call the prime timeline. Um, and it's just basically a bunch of setup, right? So the study group is at Troy and Abed's new apartment for their housewarming party. And we get a few major pieces and clues that are set up. One major thing is that Abed and Troy have a replica of the Raiders of the Lost Ark boulder sequence in their living room, which is complete with a boulder that can roll on a track. That will be very important later. It's also notable that Shirley was there super early baking a horrible pizza to everyone's dismay. I made pizza! But we ordered real pizza. Well, there's nothing more real than homemade. You didn't have some of the ingredients, so I used ketchup and cream cheese. <laughs> we ordered real pizza. That's going to come up later. But can I say, I see that pizza and I'm like, I kind of want to try it. <laughs> it doesn't look bad. <laughs> Like it looks because it looks pretty like it's yeah. so it's a pizza with. Yeah, it's pizza with ketchup and cream cheese and it looks like Vienna sausage or something on it. <laughs> but she it's like the sauce is very nicely spread out. The cream cheese is like in little dollops throughout it as a very pretty looking pizza. Can't imagine that it tastes. Yeah, good. <laughs> it probably doesn't. But I still just I still just see it. And I'm like, man, I just want to taste it just to see what it tastes like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also notable that Annie is like weirdly jumpy at the sound of a door buzzer. Again, that's an arc that's going to play out. Um, and then as the group sits down to play Yahtzee, the pizza man arrives. Annie, it's just the pizza. We can't buzz him up. Someone has to go down. Ah, okay. Starting on my left with one, your number comes up, you go. Just so you know, Jeff, you were not creating six different timelines. Of course I am, Abed. And thus the episode begins. Of course I am, Abed. <laughs> anything to say about this opening before we get into the, the first timeline no i think i think there's a lot of i just said no and then i just started diving into saying stuff about the opening um <laughs> no i i i think that it like sets up really well and it's the perfect it's the perfect setup for what they're doing of like just oh it's a party to get that it's it's not often that the study group is off of campus so like it made yeah. total sense for them to do this as like we're having a party. It's a Troy and Abed party. So there's like lots of different, like just random stuff. I love the, uh, I love the line where, where <laughs> Troy is introducing the game. Tonight we offer something far more than boobs and billiards. What? One word, two syllables. Don't say charades. Yahtzee! Is charades off the table? Somehow, like I would never have imagined Yahtzee being somehow worse than charades to like play at a party, but but I think it is. It definitely, it, it absolutely is, and like yeah, I just I love that like that that entire bit. Um, yeah, and all of the setup leading into it is just is phenomenal. There's a lot of funny stuff. Jeff is such a dick in this episode, but like in a way that's in character. And, but I like that the way they got him there was like yeah. Well, you enjoy. I have to leave early. Oh yeah, sorry. I've got an invite to the opening of a new club. Look at this place. It's like it was designed for me. It was. I made that in Photoshop and mailed it to you a month ago so that you'd keep tonight open on your calendar. There's no such thing as single malt platinum boobs and billiards club? Oh, I guess I never said it out loud. Oh, I never said it out loud. Like, it's so <laughs> obviously fake. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, 
it, it's perfect and it also like it just raises like the absurdity level and it like sets it up so it's like something something strange is about to happen because it's like it is just so absurd um yeah. like a lot of the stuff that happens um and i also i also i liked the the kind of added detail of everyone is so on edge about shirley's baking like every everyone in the group is like super on edge about it and it's just it's just such a weird detail for them to be so upset about and there's the line that jeff says of like uh baking can't be a personality trait or something like that yeah it's that's something that's interesting you see sort of like unfold throughout it yeah and it was a thing that for a long time i didn't really get and i i I felt like it was the weakest plot line then i realized it is actually kind of interesting we can get to it as it unfolds because it's i think it's interesting how that is sort of played out because you learn everyone's different perspective on this bizarre thing to be on edge about yeah throughout it until you finally get shirley's perspective in the end it's sort of like oh i kind of get where everyone's coming from here um but just no one is talking to each other to 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 sort of explain it yep the line that I quote, I won't, I won't have this much to say about literally every single timeline, but there's just a lot in this like opening sequence. The other an interesting dynamic throughout this episode is that like I think Troy and Abed are trying to pretend to be like fancy adults throwing a fancy party, and like some people like people like Jeff and Pierce are just gonna like make fun of them for it, and then people like Annie and Britta are actually are trying to like support it and like seeing what's going on. And this is my scale model, the rolling boulder scene from Raiders with actual rolling boulder. Pretty cool, huh? Super cool and sexy. Super sexy cool. Oh, for selling it. Super sexy, super sexy cool. It's, yeah, I love that line. You're right. There's so much like quotable stuff in this episode because even like. Even Annie's reaction of like overselling it is like something that like I feel like you could l- just like yeah. relate to and quote yeah um, yeah quote so much as well yeah it's good and it all and it all is still in service of setting up the dynamics that they have because everybody kind of has some if not an issue some kind of like insecurity or some kind of like weird flaw that they're kind of dealing with that like continually sets things in motion as they have as they have different interactions with the different characters. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's really interesting how much of that stuff is set up right from the get go uh, in this first, first prime timeline. So the first dice roll uh, lands a two and it's Annie. This one is also interesting because this is actually, even though the prime timeline is a lot of setup, this timeline I feel like is also a lot of setup for what the recurring gags through each timeline are going to be. So, Britta plays Roxanne on the stereo, starts to sing to it, and Jeff is just like, no, doesn't let her sing. So instead, she heads to the bathroom. Pierce tries to tell a story about the time that he had sex with Eartha Kitt. I guess I'm going down. All this talk of going down. Did you guys know I had sex with Eartha Kitt in an airplane bathroom? Oh, oh we're about to eat. Name dropping comes up organically. Uh, Troy, <laughs> while Annie is gone uh, getting the pizza, Troy notices something in her purse. Um, first asking... <laughs> Uh, guys, what does a pregnancy test look like? Oh, it's like a thin piece of plastic with a thing on the end of it. Okay, so this is definitely a gun. Whoa! Yeah, one of, honestly, I think that that is probably one of the funniest lines in the episode. It might even be one of the funniest lines in the entire series of just like, and especially, I think it's all because of Donald Glover's delivery too. Yeah. Just like, oh, so this is definitely a gun. Like, Well, it's so. such a fake out because that is such a typical sitcom thing. Like, oh, Annie has a pregnancy test. What's going on with Annie? Oh, no. And it's like, oh, no, it's a gun. <laughs> the yeah. problem is that she has a fucking gun. Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, they're all understandably freaking out about it. Pierce has a little throwaway comment that it's just a pea shooter. He definitely won't get shot by it or anything. Uh, and speaking of Pierce, he tries to give Troy a housewarming present, but he's ignored uh, because Troy is still worrying about Annie and this gun. And is like, what are we going to do about this? Uh, Jeff is like, I'm not dealing with this right now. So he stands up to get a drink, hits his head on the ceiling fan. Shirley finishes baking her pies. Abed asks Britta why the bathroom smells weird and Britta is offended by it. And then when Annie shows up at the pizza, Britta does a really funny little dance and sings a funny little song. Huh, weird. I wonder what's going on with her. Smells weird. I beg your pardon? Smells weird. What did you do? Abed, you don't ask someone a question like that. It's not dignified. Pizza! Pizza, pizza, going tummy. Me so hungry, me so hungry. It's funny, like, laying it all out. Like, I don't realize it until thinking about it, just how much of this stuff you don't really know. That It's just, like, the beginning of what becomes a joke later. Mm-hmm. That's what this episode is really... I think that's, that's wild with this episode, what, the more you look at it, it is how much it slowly unveils these little pieces for each character. Yeah, it really is, like, it's, it's, it is... It kind of follows that kind of ripple effect thing, where it's, like, you get from like a story structure, you get like a little nugget and it builds and builds and builds and builds like as the episode just continues on. Exactly. So the next timeline is dice roll number four, which is Shirley. So before she leaves, Shirley asks the others to look after her pies. She Mm. leaves and Jeff is like, remember no one eats those pies. Come on. Let's just talk to her. We tried that Annie, but she ignored us. The woman has a baking problem. Now I I don't like being the bad guy any more than anybody else. No. I feel like if you're a viewer, you're like, what the fuck does that? Yeah. What's the problem with that? Britta tries to sing along to Roxanne again. Jeff stops her again, so she goes to the bathroom again. Pierce uh, tries to tell his story about how he had sex with Eartha Kitt again. And then he does, in this case, give his housewarming gift to Troy, who freaks out when he sees that the gift is a Norwegian troll doll, which, fun fact, the name is Torg in the script, but they deleted the name in the actual episode. But officially, the name of this Norwegian troll doll is Torg. And uh, it's a very creepy doll. Pierce knew that Troy hated it when they lived together at Pierce's mansion uh so troy is like pissed off because this is like actually a mean trolling gift uh hutch see what i did there (laughs) literally (laughs) um jeff's last that laughs at him stands up hits his head on the ceiling fan again and then when shirley returns she realizes no one checked on her pies and they've all burned she's really upset about it that's when jeff berates her and kind of like you were saying he's like shirley it doesn't matter we weren't gonna eat them you're not allowed to have baking things as an identity. Excuse me for being the only married woman in a group full of horny toads who sit around all night just making googly eyes at each other. Googly, googly eyes? One of my favorite moments in this episode is when every like potential like ship <laughs> makes <laughs> googly eyes at each other, including Troy and Abed, and then it ends on Troy looking at the troll again and screaming. It's great. Love it. Um, and then Pierce is like, well, it's okay. No one makes googly eyes at me either, Shirley. We're the same, which is like the worst possible yeah. thing thing you could say to her uh so she storms out in tears everything about that segment oh it makes me feel so terrible because i'm like one the pies burned like i know and they look that's, so good too they look so amazing and it's just like also too i thought about this i thought way too deeply about it but i was like sure. what at would the pies have been burnt anyway because she was right. only gone for like a minute <laughs> Yeah, it's sort of like there must have been like she she it's like did you have it in the broiler or something? Yeah, and it was like the difference of seconds. Like yeah, because every other timeline they come out fine. So yeah, (laughs) 
Yeah. Very, very minor detail, but there, the, I, I noticed a detail like that, and then I noticed one other like detail later on that was like a continuity thing. Um, but it, that, but mostly, I just feel awful like for them because it's also. I also think it points at like the absurdity of the group's dynamic, where it's like, this is the problem that we're attacking. She's yeah. baking too much, and it's like that's that's the problem. Like that's the problem yeah. that y'all tr- decide to deal with is someone baking too much. Yeah. And, well, because and I've seen people have readings of this where, where like, at this point in the show, we know that Sh- Shirley was formerly an alcoholic. So a charitable reading is that they are viewing this as, like, oh, she's just replaced an addiction with another addiction. And she is just baking because of a void and a need to get attention in the same way that you would get addicted to anything, potentially. And that's what that's why they view it as a problem. But then, But, like, when you're watching outside of it, it's sort of like... So fucking what? She's baking you food. You can choose to eat it or not. Like, but that doesn't also, seem like it's actually hurting her. Even if that is the case, like, that's okay, right? Like, yep. is, is replacing out al- like, that feels fine to me. <laughs> right. I mean, I'm not right. a, like, therapist, so I won't yeah. get into that, but, like, I feel like that's okay. Uh-huh. It's definitely not, like, a nuanced view on addiction or anything, but, like, I, but I, I do think, to this episode's credit, we are, I feel like we are meant to side with Shirley because yeah. the group is being really nasty to her, and it is very, I mean, Yvette Nicole Brown is very good at being upset and also angry, and... I think you feel bad about her when she storms out in tears, you know? Um, And, and I think that like, I've always felt a lot for Shirley in this show because I think out like outside of this, I I do think that she's been one of the one character and event Nicole Brown as an actress is like throughout the whole show. She was incredibly good, but I don't feel like ever got to do as much as anyone else on the show ever did. And Mm -hmm. I think because they maybe had trouble knowing what to do with her because they couldn't just like have her hooking up with people because that just wasn't who she was. So they could do your sort of like friend style, like everyone's have ha- has sexual tension with everyone else sort of stuff. And with Shirley, it's like, oh, you know, she's a mom and like she gets back together with her husband. Like, yeah. <laughs> and they wouldn't really give her much else to do. And, and what's funny is that like I watch this episode and this episode is kind of commenting on that. Like this idea that like, no, I'm not like you guys where you're constantly wanting to fuck each other, but I'm still a person and I'm trying to just find my worth right now. Yeah. <laughs> like what like, my role in this group is. That's fascinating. I never thought about it that way. There's also, well, never mind. I'm not going to get on that, that tangent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There, and there's a little bit even more that she says in a later timeline and we can get into it a little more too. Um, but, but I think it's interesting what they do with Shirley. I don't know that it pays off later in the show with her. Um, but at least in this moment, it feels like they're kind of commenting on her sort of weird role and how they haven't really been able to do as much with her as, as they've done with other characters. The biggest thing I will say is that travesty for the pies. And I want to know what those pies were. Oh, I know. Right. They look so good. Yeah. So the next timeline dice roll number three, it leads us to Pierce is the one who has to leave. Britta tries to sing along with Roxanne. Jeff stops her. She goes to the bathroom. I think this is the time that we learn that she's going specifically to smoke, to smoke a joint. So it's funny. Shirley has a baking problem. Britta has a baking problem. (laughs) (laughs) So in this timeline, Annie compliments Troy on like how cool and growing up his place is. I love your place, Troy. You're all grown up now. Man, I can't believe those are real mahogany bunk beds in there. I bet that cost you a few allowances. 
Troy is embarrassed about it because like he does kind of have a complex about not wanting to be viewed as like the kid in the group because he is one of the youngest ones. Um, he just like leaves. Uh, he joins Britta in the bathroom and is like, look, I'm a grown up. I know that you're in here like smoking, whatever. There's a funny little moment where it looks like he's also going to open up a cigarette or a joint and it turns out to be a candy cigarette. It's very funny. Um, but they have like this really nice talk. And this is the first time we really see the two of them really bond because Troy's like opening up to Britta about like Jeff just like picks on him and treats him like a child. And all he's trying to do is like be an adult. He's butting antlers with you because you're a threat now. You've got your own place. You've got a future. You've got a bowl full of olives next to the toilet. It's a fancy party, Britta. You know what Jeff has in his bathroom? Neither do I. He keeps his toiletries in a safe under the sink. His whole personality is based around guarding himself. You don't have to be like that to be a man. You're really cool, Britta. Which I think, like, she's slept with him a bunch of times. She probably knows him better than anyone else in this group. And so she kind of knows how insecure of a guy that Jeff is. And he's just kind of projecting onto Troy. And that makes Troy feel better. They have a nice moment of connection as they sort of bond while they're talking. Back at the table, Annie's like chiding Jeff for being really hard on Troy. Jeff ignores her, stands up to get a drink, hits his head on the ceiling fan again. Uh, Pierce comes back with the pizzas and everyone kind of notices these interesting sparks that are flying between Troy and Britta. Now, is this also in this timeline, is this where Jeff and Annie go into the kitchen because she's trying to like help his head as well. Yeah, I, I did miss that. Yeah, I think that's the first time they don't kiss or anything, but they do go into the kitchen and there is some sparks between the two of them. I I I I remember I couldn't remember if that like which time I know it didn't happen in the other one because that was when Annie left, but I couldn't remember if it happened in all of them or uh it, that's the like this episode is so hard to remember like yeah. it's easy to like figure out what's happening like the beats that are happening as you're watching it but like thinking mm-hmm. back to it is like it's so difficult because there's so much that happens oh yeah yeah i i definitely miss some stuff in these notes i tried to just like make the beats as clear as possible yeah. like what's re- what are repeating gags so then when they change at certain points it's like clear that it's an interesting turn yeah it is yeah it is there they said on the commentary that there are versions of timelines when they were writing it like at one point one of the timelines where there were sparks between troy and britta actually ended with them going to the bedroom and shutting the door and that's how that timeline ended uh and there's other ones where they just where they did kiss but they decided like maybe just have some sparks happen rather than the full fireworks because then you yeah. can save that for a later episode if you wanted to yeah for sure that would have been a huge jump like yeah <laughs> i feel like um also i will i will say i think uh in this timeline it's the the worst of the bad eartha kit mentions like it's just like one two three pierce crap Speaking of crap, I was taking one in an airplane bathroom when Eartha Kitt decided to bang me. Oh, oh what? That's where my mind went. Yeah. <laughs> Just like, yeah. And, and like, they're, like, they're intentionally bad. And so they oh, do yeah. a good job at them being bad. But, like, that, I think, is, like, the worst offender. Yeah. Everyone, like, that's the, fu- the the joke about that. If you're listening and, like, don't get it. The joke about it is that he constantly is trying to, quote, unquote, organically bring up this story about Eartha Kitt <laughs> having sex with him. But it's obviously not organic because it happens in every single timeline, no matter what's going on. Because he is trying very hard to bring up this horrible story that literally no one wants to hear (laughs) yeah and i will also say slight spoiler if you haven't watched the show and also just a tiny nugget you find out in a later episode didn't actually happen yep yep 
<laughs> Which you could guess, I feel like. You don't have to, like, have that confirmed. Like, you could probably guess that that's the case. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But... So this next timeline is dice roll number six, which leads us to Britta. So when Britta leaves, this is interesting because like no one's turning on the music. Everybody is just sitting there quietly and awkward. No one's saying any funny quips. One, two, three, four, five, six, Britta. Great. Great. You know, it's great. Air travel. I've flown a lot, a lot of airplane stories. <laughs> I once had sex with Eartha Kitt. Okay, I'm going to check on my pies. You guys are my best. I'm gonna get a drink. Hits his head on the ceiling again, um, and he offers to take a look at his injury in the bathroom. And then uh, this, in this one, um, after tending to his wound, uh, Jeff is now actually expressing his concern with Annie since they're kind of alone. You make a good nurse, Annie. Thank you. I actually had to apply a tourniquet the other day. Like I got stabbed outside my building. What? Annie, you gotta get the hell out of that apartment. You don't have to treat me like a kid anymore, remember? Yeah, but adults still need to be protected. I, I can't help but worry about you, Annie. You're important to me. Calling back to like her reaction to the buzzer uh, at the beginning of the episode and also what we saw with her having a gun earlier. The two are about to kiss and then they are interrupted when they hear screaming. They run out, find Pierce terrorizing Troy with the troll doll. Feel the tantrum! Feel the Norwegian troll! What's going on in here? Pierce is terrorizing Troy because he's jealous we moved in together. You're the one who's jealous. Why would I be jealous? Because you're lonely and crazy. He's calling Pierce out for just being jealous of uh, of uh, of Troy and I've been living together because Troy and Pierce previously lived together. Troy moved out to move into this apartment. And that's when Britta arrives at the pizzas and the delivery guy, Toby, whom she announces she is engaged to. <laughs> Which, so, in, in, this is one of the continuity issues that I, like, I, I wouldn't call it a continuity issue, but, like, I felt like the intention there was, like, oh, she got high and was, like, oh. oh I don't think so, because she did, I think she is just being Britta and being weird. I th- Maybe okay. I, I just I felt like that was just such a like a huge leap though, even yeah. for her character there. That's true. But like, but like I because I thought like that was the intention. I was like, but she didn't actually do that. I guess she could have done it on her way down. So maybe that's like a better like maybe that's a better uh, yeah. reading of it. Is that like on like in the stairwell she just lights up and like oh then is, maybe. Yeah. yeah, that's possible. Um, although I don't think you get like she gets like instantly fucking stoned as shit in this yeah. episode. Like she smokes like a she puff does. and it's just like, I'm so high. Yeah. It's like, I feel like you're just uh, just kind of OK. I feel like you're faking it a little bit. But all right. Um, I also think it's funny that it is kind of like another running gag in the episode that I think all not everyone, but most characters who go in and get the pizza, like when they come back up, comment on like how the pizza guy was either like creepy or like not good looking. And then Britta goes out and is like the love of my life. Yeah. <laughs> also, fun fact, apparently the pizza guy was originally going to be like a big fun cameo. They were trying to get Josh Brolin. He turned it down. They were going to get Brian Cranston. He turned it down. I couldn't tell if it was a joke or not, but they mentioned trying to get Eminem. Um <laughs> Uh, <laughs> they also mentioned Jason Biggs as well. And then eventually they just settled on just getting like a comedy friend that they knew. I think it kind of works that it wasn't a big cameo because I feel like that would have just taken away from like a yeah. lot of the other stuff in the episode. Cause it'd be like, Oh my God, that's the episode that Eminem was like a cameo. In, right. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. um, I'll also say too, um, I, the, that's so in all of these two, Abed like says, I wonder what happened in all the other timelines. Yeah. And then it cuts back. And in this one, 
I wonder what happened in all those other timelines. Wait, there are other timelines? The pizza guy says, like, there's other timelines? Like, <laughs> just like a really fun, like, throwaway line of just kind yeah. of, like, acknowledging, like, the absurdity of what's happening, but also is, like, out of his, like, he's just like, I don't know what's happening right now. It's good. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, the next timeline. Uh, it's dice roll number one, critical failure. Uh, it's Troy who leaves. Um, this is probably the most famous one from this episode. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't even know how to, how to recap this, but one Troy, (sighs) damn it. I'm going to go as fast as I can. So I don't miss anything. He slams his door on the way out because he's going so fast. This prompts the boulder from the Raiders display to roll to the ground. Um, but notes to the group, which like creates this Rube Goldbergian series of events that like must be seen to be witnessed. Best way I can summarize it is that Annie trips on the boulder, falls under the coffee table, spills the liquor all over the floor, drops her purse with a gun in it, which goes off, shoots Pierce in the leg. His blood spurts out over Shirley and her pies. Then when Britta comes out of the bathroom with her joint, she drops it onto the liquor, which starts a fire. So when Troy returns to the pizzas, he only sees the chaos of blood, death, screaming and flames surrounding the horrible Norwegian troll doll smiling back at him sinisterly. And he just screams. And that's how it ends. I think that's a pretty succinct uh, description of of that particular. That was that was perfect. <laughs> incredible. I don't understand how they did this. <laughs> that's also the that's like a meme too of like the fire and just like uh, uh, Troy just like looking in at like the fire of like things happening kind of thing as yeah. well. I feel like that's. I'm not crazy, right? That's a meme. <laughs> oh, no. It one I use it all the time. It's okay. not 100% is. Yeah. I mean, it's a good it's a perfect encapsulation of just like returning joyfully from from something and unbeknownst to you like pure horror has just unfolded while you were gone. It's truly bananas. <laughs> yeah, and it also yeah, the, it, it sets up the whole mm-hmm. darkest timeline bit, which like you know continues on throughout the series. It's also it felt like that one was like the shortest of se- like oh, all is. of the segments, it but ends up is. being like the most impactful, which is kind of fun. I mean, it's so dense, and like, and that this is the one. I mean, I I still laugh at Community plenty, but this is the one. No matter what mood I mood I'm in, no matter how many times I've seen it, I can't not fucking laugh laugh at it. At the very least. The, the ending and Troy screaming, I just bust out laughing every time. It's just like so chaotic and so absurd and so well executed. It It's just it's, it's just perfect. Well, and it also <laughs> makes sense to like I think about too, like how would this work if they rearrange some of the timelines? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like what what happens first? And like it makes like it every like it, you, I feel like you have enough set up at this point because you mm-hmm. you get. Annie's gun, mm-hmm. Chekhov's gun kind of thing. Or is uh-huh. it Chekhov's gun? Yeah. yeah. No, it's literally Chekhov's yeah, gun. Yeah, it's Chekhov's gun. It's Annie's gun. Um, Annie's got and, a gun. <laughs> yeah, Annie's got a gun. And then you get the, you get the setup for what the Norwegian troll doll is. Mm-hmm. Like, you have everything that needs yeah, to happen Yeah, British joint. There. That'll start British the fire. British joint. Yep. Yeah. So, like, it happens at, like, the perfect time in the episode, but it's also not, like the last timeline. So like yeah. other stuff happens. The after placement that. of it is smart. Cause this is sort of like your fun throwing all the elements into a blender and just exploding all of it. Um, and then you still have the next timeline, which is sort of 
all of the character stuff coming to a head in your last timeline, essentially. Mm-hmm. So this, so this last timeline is dice roll number five. Abed leaves. In this case, Britta tries to sing again. Jeff stops her again. So he goes to the bathroom to smoke a joint again. Pierce tells a story. Shirley checks on her pies. All the normal stuff happens. Jeff hits his head on a ceiling fan. Annie offers to look at the injury in the kitchen. In this one, it's interesting because I guess at this point, I think they know that we have seen all this enough that we don't need a lot of like fluff around it so there is a ton of cross-cutting throughout these next three little sequences or these next three little scenes between these characters because they pair them up and they just cross-cut almost like every other line i have no fucking idea how i'm going to like clip this in the podcast (laughs) because everyone's like overlapping between scenes and it's different conversations basically the three pairs we have are pierce and troy uh britta and shirley and annie and jeff so pierce and troy pierce offers troy this troll doll gift again in this case before troy opens it because abed's gone and troy and pierce are alone hey while we're alone i just want to say thanks for letting me live with you but now it's time for me to try and make it on my own just like you did yeah, I don't think you should open. No, what? What are you talking about? It's like a really nice moment of him being like very honest and emotionally honest with Pierce. And Pierce obviously like feels good about that, but then feels guilty that he's about to give him this like horrible like gift that was just out of spite. So he's like, oh, that's so nice. Um, no, I let's not. I'm I'm not going to give you this gift. It's not it's not good. I'll give you something better. And Troy's like, give it, Pierce. It feels fun. I demand to be housewarmed. <laughs> like is wrestling it away from him. Eventually, like he gets it, opens it, and it becomes like really angry when he sees that it was still the troll doll. The other pairing is uh, with Britta and Shirley. Since Britta is like stoned out of her mind when Shirley brings the pies out, and since no one's like stopping this from happening, Britta like goes is like super excited about the pie, just like eats the shit out of it, is like loving it. Um, and Shirley is like so super happy, and she's even kind of clarifying like. Sometimes I feel like making desserts is the only thing I'm good for in the group. Which kind of like solidifies like where her baking problem has come from. Yeah. And this prompts Britta to kind of inadvertently reveal to Shirley that the entire group actually made a pact to not eat Shirley's baking. But also she's like high as fuck. So like, I don't know what I'm saying right now. And this, of course, upsets Shirley. I can't believe I'm feeding my pies to a drug addict. Drug addict? You're a pie pusher. You push pies to get love. Give me this, you... Godless hippie skank. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they're now angry at each other. Meanwhile, Annie and Jeff are having their little sparks again. And since they're without interruption, they actually start kissing. Um, but then most awkward thing in the world, Annie pauses their little makeout session. I'm sorry. I just had a weird deja vu. That thing you said about worrying about me. It's something my dad always said. I shouldn't have brought it up. <laughs> just reminded me of my dad. Which is a A normal thing to do. Yeah, very normal thing to do. (laughs) Horrible, weird thing to say. Jeff is like understandably like annoyed and weirded out. And, and, you know, he reacts very badly to it because he's like, Anyway. Uh, Little make out 101, less dad talk. And uh, you could ease up on the bubblegum lip gloss. Their whole dynamic really throughout the entire show is this sort of is the age difference being this like weird barrier and how that is sort of weird. Cause they do have chemistry, but like they're at two completely different places in their lives and everything. Like at this point in the show, I think like she's 19 or 20 and he's like in his, in his late thirties. Like he turns 40, I think in season five, which, you know, 
you can argue whether or not like the like that age difference is like good or bad but like for them i do think they are very they, they i think they play i think they do a good job playing like waffling a little bit back and forth between like how annie is pretty mature but like not that mature and mm-hmm. F, and jeff is like an older guy, but also very emotionally stunted. So like they could maybe work for each other, but maybe they would be bad together. And, and I think the show actually at the end of the show lands on a really good place with that, but that's jumping very far into the future. (laughs) (laughs) I will say with this timeline, the, another one of my favorite lines from this episode is when Britta is tasting the pies and she says, Oh my God, they taste just like regular size pies. Oh, and like i don't have an opportunity to eat miniature pies a lot but anytime i do i sure as hell say it tastes just like a regular size pie it's so good it's It's such a good good line yeah yeah but this whole this whole timeline is really interesting because it, it ends with everyone being angry at each other essentially like even though this isn't the darkest timeline this is like the one where everyone is upset at each other because everyone says the worst possible things to the other people and make everyone like, it's interesting because they're like for Troy and for Shirley, both of them are actually like being as honest as they've been in the entire episode about like how they're feeling and where they're at in a very positive way. And then the other person just like reacts in the worst possible way. Mm -hmm. Um, Even with Jeff and Annie, honestly, even though Annie says something very weird, like she's coming from, she's just being very honest with Jeff, you know, like that was a real feeling that she had and he reacts to it very badly. Um, And Abed, meanwhile, is like, oh, this is the real timeline because I found a nickel in the hallway. Yeah, (laughs) I I think that that's one of the interesting things about like all of these timelines. And I think it's especially apparent when you get to when we get to like what happens in the prime timeline. But like, it's interesting that Abed being gone because there's this whole thing throughout the story of Abed, like having trouble, like processing emotions and like things like that. And and him being gone this is like the most emotional timeline. And then he kind of comes back and is very oblivious to like everything kind of that's yeah. happening around him. And is like, he's, he's very much just kind of like, he has like a piece of pizza in his hand. And he's like, I really hope this is the, the, the right one. Cause I just found a nickel in the hallway. Like, <laughs> and it's just like, it's very, it, it very much like highlights just the, the, how the characters and the, the the characters in the group interplay off of each other, which is really interesting. Yeah, I, I've read some like analyses, and no one will ever be able to land on this because it was. I don't think they were like intentionally going for a specific thing, but like analyses of like what each member of the group kind of represents based on what happens when they're gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of it is like really just depending on what you think. Like, yeah, I think like what you said with Abed, he almost sort of like tempers the yeah. group's emotionality when his presence there. And when he's gone, everyone just gets like too emotional in a way that ends up hurting each other. And like Britta, I feel like is often like the heart of the group. And so when she's gone, that's when like, um, like no one acts very good together. Like that's another kind of bad one where they sort of just have have bad interactions or, or, or whatever. It's kind of awkward and no one seems to be having a lot of fun together. Even with Troy in the darkest timeline, I feel like there's always been this arc of him. He's always been like, had the best relationship with every character. Like he's never, he's never rubbed up negatively against anyone in the group mm-hmm. in the way that other members do. And like, he's also like often placed in sort of like the leadership position directly under Jeff. So it's like when he's gone from the group, just like chaos unfolds. Like he's... Well, and- and also he's like the he's like quote the purest character yeah. like in a sense you know what i mean so it's like the evil just kind of like creeps in you know what i mean when yeah. he's not there like, he's the one who doesn't yeah he really is the one that doesn't 
like he has insecurities, but like he, not ones that he doesn't let his insecurities like turn him into a bad person in the way that pretty much everyone else on this mm-hmm. show some does at one point or another. Yeah, like I feel like you could make an argument for all of them. Some of them are less clear, like like the Annie one, because that's a lot of setup. So there's not really much about her and the Shirley leaving. Like it's mostly just about how the group treats her. I mean, we talked about that, just how yeah. the group sort of leaves her out. And the Pierce one, like, I don't even remember what happened. In that I one. know. I was just thinking that too. I was like, what the hell happened in the Pierce? Like there's so much that happened yeah. in this episode. Yeah. The Pierce one, I, I'm not really sure what to say, how, how, what to say about that one either. Cause that one is also, um, oh, well that's no, I guess that's the one where Troy and Britta, Britta like get together at the end and have a good moment. So maybe like with Pierce is often a negative influence on the group. So it's like people can maybe be happier without him around. Yeah. yeah it's interesting, but and none of that stuff is like, that's, it's all kind of subjective based on how you want to view it because I think we also see the show <laughs> as the show changes, these characters literally do leave as cast members leave. So like you can sort of adjust how you view this episode based on like how the show progresses and stuff like that too. There's kind of a lot of things you could really say about it if you wanted to. And I think a lot of people have done writing about it in that regard. Mm-hmm. So back in the prime timeline, um, we see the beginning again where, you know, Jeff is about to roll the die, but in this case, Abed catches the die before it can land. I don't think you should. Chaos already dominates enough of our lives. The universe is an endless, raging sea of randomness. Our job isn't to fight it, but to weather it together on the raft of life, a raft held together by those few, rare, beautiful things that we know to be predictable. Ropes? Vines. Vines? Let him finish! Us. It won't matter what happens to us as long as we stay honest and accepting of each other's flaws and virtues. Also, the other important point that he brings up is that Jeff concocted a plan that ensured that he would never have to get the pizza because it's a six-sided die and he was the seventh person in the group. So, of course, everyone's like, oh, God damn, Jeff, you crafty jackrabbit. <laughs> you crafty jackrabbit. <laughs> Everyone is like, you got to go get the pizza then. Uh, hits his head on the fan once more. Uh, but the culmination of this is that everyone laughs at him when it happens and Annie comments that it's karma. In his absence, when Britta plays Roxanne, she is able to sing along with it. Everyone else joins in. They all start dancing and having fun. Pierce gets cut off before he could start his Eartha Kit story. And instead of trying to tell it, he just decides to just like say whatever, opts to throw Troy's housewarming gift in the trash because everyone's clearly having fun. Jeff returns to them just being silly and just eats pizza as they watch on. It's fun and nice. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's also just like... So I think this is one of the ones that has like just the biggest commentary on the group as a whole, because like when you think about how the show starts, right, mm-hmm. it starts with Jeff really just getting into this group because he wants to try and get with Britta. Like that was the whole impetus yeah. of like the study group forming. But then as it progresses, they become this like kind of family the entire time there's still like even this kind of tension within Jeff's character of like, I'm a part of this group, but also I'm separate from it. Right. Like he even yeah. comes to the the party with the intention of leaving to like, go to like the boobs and billiards club. <laughs> um, yeah. And when he has to go get the pizza, like the group is able to kind of like, just be more of themselves. Right. Like, mm-hmm. and then instead of stopping Britta from having fun, which he does a lot because he's just kind of like, no, this is not an adult fun thing that we should be doing. She does it. But then when he comes back, he realizes like, you know, no, this is fun. This is like, this is my family. Like I can, I can still enjoy this even though like 
in all the other timelines, he kind of like stops it from happening. So it kind of like it's it kind of like shows just the progression of him as well, where it's like he didn't yeah. want to be a part. He he tried to get out of the study group and didn't want to be a part of the study group, but then just like eventually, it kind of like rose on him, like just yeah. kind of like the Roxanne song kind of does. Oh, I I love that as like a like an interpretation of it though, as like a as like a microcosm of Jeff's whole like macro arc on the entire show. Like that's really interesting actually. Cause like, I remember when I, when I first watched it and for a while, my whole take on it was like, so is this episode trying to say that like the group is just better off without Jeff? Like that's a kind of a dark nihilistic way to look at it. <laughs> um, but I think it makes sense in the context of like the season, because this is the season I think that ends with Jeff being like the most, part of the group as he ever is like where he Mm -hmm. kind of fully accepts like the season finale is him about like kind of deciding to accept his role in the group instead of like finding a a back door to get back into his law firm. Right. So like, I think that this is sort of it sort of saying that like where Jeff is right now, he still feels like you said, sort of separate and, and sort of a separate piece of this whole group when really what's going to make him better is if he accepts that he is actually legitimately part of this family and stop trying to just like control everything or feel like he's different or better than what they're doing. Yeah. And, and, and it really, it, it's, it's kind of this, this really kind of beautiful thing too, because it's very much like when you let all of these people kind of be themselves mm-hmm. You know, and then you yourself or yourself as well, like you can have like you can feel like a like much more part of like this this yeah. microcosm of society kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. There's a there's a quote in the commentary from Dan Harmon too, because he commented on that interpretation of like, is just Jeff just bad for the group? And and I like what he says about it too, because he was like, No, we aren't saying, you know, we're not we're not saying anything like that. We're just saying that Jeff's archetype is that he's the leader. Um, you need a leader sometimes and sometimes you don't. Sometimes you need anarchy. Sometimes clumsy, silly people just need to do whatever they do and be dumb together. Mm-hmm. And I think like that's sort of interesting because I mean this episode's called Remedial Chaos Theory. Abed notes chaos a few times. It's like sometimes a little bit of chaos is fine. Like yeah. you just have have fun with it and stop trying to like be up your own ass about it you know yeah and oh and it's so funny too because in his speech he says chaos dominates uh, our lives enough of the times like anyway or whatever the line specifically is yeah and then the, it kind of ends with the leader if you kind of take that interpretation of it leaving and chaos just happening even yeah. still like you know what i mean with the leader being gone but everything being okay yeah 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 like instead I- of trying to control the chaos it's like letting the chaos happen Yeah. I, yeah, I think it's really interesting. I think it's interesting too, given like where the show goes, because I think that there's an interesting arc of the show, like where for the first handful of seasons, it is very much about this sort of the screw people becoming a family essentially and learning to sort of like Abed says, accept their own flaws and virtues as they are, like come as they are and sort of like grow together as a family. But then as the show sort of changes and cast members leave, like the last couple of seasons, I think become a little bit more about how like you can still grow out of people. And that's also okay. Like that it Mm -hmm. is okay to realize that you don't necessarily fit in with this group anymore. And that maybe you've grown out of them and maybe it is, they are kind of bad for each other. Cause like, like the, the episode before the series finale is like, they're all, it's like that, that wedding documentary episode and they're all just at their fucking worst together. Mm -hmm. And then the, the series finale, not to spoil everything for the show, but like the series finale involves like certain characters, like leaving for good and moving on. And, and I think just sort of like that acceptance of real, 
realizing like, oh, you know, maybe I'm ready to move on. It's interesting watching this episode now because it's so predicated on characters not being present and then specifically landing on Jeff needing to not be present, but also still being okay to be there. And the show ending with Jeff kind of being the one that still stays while everyone else around him leaves, Mm -hmm. I find very fascinating. Like Jeff, Jeff had to be there with the group so everyone else could then move on, even though he's always been the character that wanted to be the one to leave in the first place. Like, I think it's sort of interesting I don't know if I'm if what I'm saying makes any sense, but no, it totally does. <laughs> I think it totally does, and I mean, I think it's just you know, it, it's it it's one of those things where it's like I don't know if that was like their intentionality, like throughout all of this yeah. either. Like if it, you know, I think I think with with episodes like this, especially like it just invites so much yeah, in, in a show does. like this. It invites so much just analysis that like. I'm sure there's so much that they weren't thinking about when they did it, but oh, of course, no, yeah. No, I mean, I think it makes total sense, and I mean, it, I also think it's like it—it it just goes to just showing really good character growth as well. Like where mm-hmm. Jeff lands at the end of the show is like exactly where you should for like a very if you want the show to be wholesome, like which mm-hmm. I think it is in a lot of ways. It's exactly where his character should end up. You know what I mean? Of yeah. like wanting to like keep the group together as like as long as he can yeah um and and i think it's you can kind of say a little bit of the same thing about like this episode too where it's like things kind of have to fall into place the way that the way they fall into place yeah and it, 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 like for the 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 progress to continue happening like if you yeah. for, if you try to control it and you try to like like you know manipulate the way uh, people are going to in- interact together like it's going to end up causing problems, which is what yeah. Jeff does in setting up the whole dice rolling thing. Yeah, instead of yeah, instead of trying to control the chaos, you have to just sometimes let the chaos happen and accept it as it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's I love that reading of it. That's so God. This episode is so interesting. It's so interesting, <laughs> and honestly, like now I'm like I just rewatched it. I rewatched it twice uh, within like probably a week's time because like i said i've just had it on in the background um and so now i'm like i kind of want to go rewatch it again (laughs) it goes by so fast too. it does it doesn't even feel like you've watched an episode of tv by the end of it the only other part of this episode is the end tag which uh so is rules this is the uh we this is the revisitation of the darkest timeline um, so this is the timeline where Troy got the pizza. Uh, we basically have flash forward. This is the only scene in the episode that isn't in Troy and Abbott's apartment. This is back in the library in the study group's room. Guys, I've been thinking about that night over and over. One thing has become clear. This is the darkest, most terrible timeline. Enough with the timeline crap, Abed. Pierce got shot in the leg and died. Shirley's a drunk. Annie's locked in a mental ward because her guilt drove her insane. Jeff lost an arm in the fire. Troy lost his larynx because for some dumb reason he tried to destroy a flaming troll doll by eating it. Clearly you don't understand anything about defeating trolls. Life has gone to hell, Abed. This is real. Look at us. Look at me. Britta, you put one wash away blue streak in your hair and I lost an arm. Exactly. Life got dark. Shirley has become an alcoholic and she's so fucking funny when she plays drunk. I love Yvette Nicole Brown. Oh, she's so good. Also, I want to point out Troy, his his larynx, his larynx, his larynx, I can't say that word. His vocal cords are destroyed because he specifically tried to 
eat a flaming troll doll. Because it's the only way to, to destroy the uh, the trolls, apparently. Yeah, to which Britta responds with, like, she, she's the one who points that out. And he says, like, clearly you don't know anything about dealing with trolls, Britta. <laughs> Britta, who, by the way, probably suffered the worst in the Starkest timeline because she dyed some of her hair blue with washout dye. Oh, goodness. <laughs> Um, but yeah, Abed's like, this is clearly the darkest timeline. We should embrace it. He gives everyone felt goatees, declares himself evil Abed, and proposes that they all cross over to the prime timeline and take over their duplicates' lives. Good stuff. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's phenomenal that they added that in. And also, too, I think the fact that, like, again, they do reference this later on in the show, but the fact that, like, it, you know, j- just this episode alone, the fact that they bring that back, the show itself is so chaotic that you're like, so do these other timelines actually exist? Like yeah. at this point in time, like are these actual things or like, what's the deal here? Like, yeah. Yeah. And I like, it almost doesn't matter because like they still, you're still able to chalk yeah. up any future timeline stuff to just somebody imagining it like pretty much. For so, sure. Yeah. Yeah. It, so it, it works. Yeah. I think it works because you could take it, I whatever you could, you can say it's as real as you want it to be. And it doesn't really impact the show either way. Um, fun fact, apparently Sony did not like this tag, wanted them to remove it. Apparently like uh, a Sony executive actually, uh, sent Dan Harmon an email was like, yeah, we love the episode. We just don't like the tag. So just get rid of the tag. Uh, luckily they fought for it and, and kept it in. What did they not like about I it? I know. guess is my I question. Guess Cause it's too dark, I guess, which even though that's the point, <laughs> but like too dark, like I don't. I don't, I don't get executives sometimes, even though like earlier we were like, yeah, I get why they were like, I don't get like that decision. Like, what, I what side from them. I side with them on the business ends. Yeah. Sometimes I don't side with them on a lot of creative, on most creative things. For sure. <laughs> especially in that, especially cause it's just, I mean, maybe there's a specific note of like, yeah, it is too, but like saying it's too dark just feels like, who cares? Yeah. Like, yeah it's a it's weird sitcom silly. like like what are you talking about like yeah. someone gets they, i guess if that's too dark then like what do you feel about like that whole right section of the episode where someone gets shot and like <laughs> there's a fire like you don't care about that <laughs> it's, it's so bizarre weird. it's truly bizarre the only other fun facts i had is that there the intention and i think if you watch the episode for it you can see a little bit of it seep, seeping through the intention originally was that the way that jeff reacted to hitting his head on the fan actually would change slightly depending on who was present with him mm-hmm. so like when annie was there he plays it off a lot more like it didn't hurt and it was supposed to be a lot more apparent in every single timeline but it just kind of got lost in shooting and editing and they reused a lot more shots so that didn't really come through but I mean, it was, that, that would have been an interesting detail, but the Annie thing still comes through because you do see him like play it off when she's around. So, yeah, I think that the, the, the first time that happens, I think it's, it's very apparent because he's like, he's like, um, doesn't hurt at all. And like, kind of like really, yeah. it's really played up, but yeah, it does get lost. I think a little bit throughout yeah. the episode. There also was going to be a Dean, uh, Dean Pelton, either appearance or voiceover or reference, at least uh, one of the things that would get him to actually stand up and get hit his head on the fan. Like in every timeline was that he'd get a call on a, on a cell phone and it would be a hang up call um, or he would hang up on the person. I don't, I don't really know exactly which, but either way he would get a phone call, but you wouldn't find out until the very end after Jeff is gone. Britta answers the call and it's actually Dean Pelton. who's just like, Hey Jeffrey, what you doing today? Where, where are you? <laughs> Uh, I wish that there, I wish I always, I love Dean Pelton that I wish he was in like every single episode. So I yeah. wish that was there, but I also feel like there's just too much. There's like, too much. In this yeah. Episode already. They didn't need like, it. They didn't need it. So. Yeah. 
there's other stuff that they cut from this episode, but it's like, obviously they cut a shit ton because there's a lot happening. Right. So Mm -hmm. yeah. But I did want to point out there's, if you watch really closely, it's, and it's only one of the things that like, if you let it bother you, it'll bother you. But like, there's this moment where, so in the, the prime timeline where, uh, Pierce throws away the troll doll, the Uh troll, it, there's like this weird, uh, like it's, where the way they shot it like there's a continuity error and so when they cut back to like the group dancing you can see him throwing it away again oh, it's just like a it's just like a weird like little yeah. tiny thing and like honestly like given everything that they oh God, yeah. come up with this in this, this episode if they have like one like little moment like that like whatever yeah. it's probably like they couldn't it's i'm sure that they could only get chevy to do a limited amount. So it's like, we can't get yep. it. We can't reshoot this with him. So we're just going to keep the shot in. Who, who yep, cares? Yep, yep. I never I, noticed it. <laughs> I also wanted to call that. And it's funny. Cause you were talking earlier about like growing, like growing apart from like people in the group. Noticeably Chevy isn't dancing in like the dance no, scene, like with Roxanne, he's not. he's not in any of the shots where they're dancing. You, the last thing you see him do is throw the troll doll away. Yeah. And then you kind of see him in the weird moment where he does it again. <laughs> That's like an, an <laughs> error. Uh, but then after that, when the group's dancing, he's like not there. That Yeah. Yes. It's an, it's interesting. The fact that both he and Jeff are the only ones who don't dance, I think is interesting. And and part of it, I do wonder if it's like, did just Chevy just not want to dance with them? Cause I know he was very difficult, but also I think it works as a, as a choice, as a character choice too, because Jeff and, che- and Pierce have always been sort of parallels of each other. Like Pierce is the man that Jeff doesn't want to become and could become if he doesn't like let himself open up to people more. Um, but also Pierce is always the one that's always been very antagonistic to the group and is always been mm-hmm. kind of a weird seventh wheel to the whole group. And also the one that like as many cast changes happen on this show, I think he's the one that most people would argue like, the show is least hurt by when he leaves <laughs> compared yeah. to everyone else. Yeah. Some people might have counter arguments to that, but I think most people would agree that like the way that the way that the show changes when Donald Glover leaves and even when, when Yvette Nicole Brown leave is fundamentally different when Chevy, when Chevy leaves, like I don't think that there's as much of a missing that doesn't feel like as much of a void when he leaves because by, because he was never really fully part of the show and the way that other characters were. Yeah, because he like I think like you said he's he was always very antagonistic and and often played often played like the villain role like with yeah. like a lot of the groups like escapades and things like that too. So like you can kind of you can fill that role pretty easily with like other characters outside of the group. And so I think that's why it makes sense where it's like when you have this kind of toxic element like within a group, mm-hmm. you know, you're not it, it's going to be it's going to feel slightly better you know even in like a fictional setting when like that that element is like kind of um taken out so yeah but but i did notice that and i just thought that was interesting interesting. and i was curious if they mentioned anything about that but probably not they didn't mention it on the commentary so yeah i don't know i don't know i I don't know what what their thought process was with that but i think our readings of it make a lot of sense because that's really how things have played out in the show anyway. <laughs> Actually, you know what? I lied. I don't think Abed dances either, but Abed is still present in those scenes because he's like sitting at the table because he sits at the table. And I think he makes the comment to Annie about like moving in. Oh yeah. I them. didn't even mention. I totally forgot to even mention. That. I think I even had that on the notes and just forgot. Yeah. That's the other thing is that this episode still is like, even 
regard even disregarding the, the 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 darkest timeline stuff like an important plot point for the season is that annie moves in with them and yep. that's the impetus for that is she compliments uh she's happy you know happy because they're all dancing she's like i really love your place and abed's like you should move in because i think she is also aware that she lives in a bad neighborhood that's not only the culmination of that story in this episode but then that becomes a plot point throughout the rest of the season mm-hmm. of her moving in with them yeah yeah even and i think it's even like uh well i guess it depends on how it's structured but like that's the next episode like if you're streaming it i think that that or no the halloween one is next anyway sorry but it's it's a couple episodes from yeah, now that she's mo- that's about her moving in and she stays living with abed for a couple of seasons after that so mm-hmm. and even yeah. after um oh yeah Troy even, leaves as well yep. yeah after a while it's just her and abed living together i forgot i forgot how long they actually lived together yeah yeah i think for the whole rest of the show i guess yeah i think i think so yeah i yeah. think so that's wild. Yeah, so that's like a huge kind of pivotal point as well that just kind of like mm-hmm. occurs. Yeah, yeah, for real. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, this episode is so loaded. Um, anything else uh, that you had to say about it? I mean, they're, they're, I'm 100% sure that there's other stuff. Um, I know that there's like a lot of little tiny like gags and stuff like that within the apartment themselves. Mm-hmm. Um I even as I was like rewatching it, I was trying to like pick up on it, and it was just like again, there's just so much other stuff that happens in the episode that it's it really like is. you'd have to like pause it, and, like look at all the stuff on the walls and stuff like that to catch everything. <laughs> it's it's hella packed. There's a lot of detail in the set design of Troy and Abed's apartment, like a lot of detail. And I mean, any episode you watch in their apartment, you're gonna see all that stuff. So like, it's not it's not important to this episode really. Although I guess it is the first appearance of it, but. Just great stuff. It, I mean, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a critically acclaimed episode for a reason. Mm-hmm. Thanks so much for, for chatting with me about this uh, very hefty, hefty, hefty episode. Absolutely. If anyone wants to find you or anything you're working on, where can we find you, Tommy? Yeah, absolutely. I am on Twitter. I am at awkward comma. You can also find uh, myself and my partner host a Star Wars podcast where we watch uh, every episode or trying to watch every episode of every Star Wars TV series. Uh, And Derek actually was recently on our Christmas holiday Mm -hmm. special where we looked at the uh, Christmas episode. And you can find that on Twitter. That is at Distant Echoes SW. Um, And you can find that on Spotify or any of your podcast platforms. It's just Distant Echoes, a Star Wars podcast. Wonderful. You can find me on Twitter at Derek B. Gale or on my other podcasts, Walloping Web Snappers, a Spider-Man podcast, which does deep dives into every Spider-Man cartoon ever made, and Falling with Style, an ongoing Pixar movie marathon, which is a monthly podcast that dives into every Pixar film chronologically. You can also follow this podcast at Gimmicks Pod on Twitter and Instagram for some extra goodies, and email me your questions, feedback, and corrections to gimmickspodcast at gmail.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast podcast on all podcast platforms but until next time friends keep being weird
she's so upset. Her pies probably didn't burn in the other timelines. Abed, Shirley just had a nervous breakdown. More like a nervous breakdown, I know. I didn't say it on purpose. And Abed, there are no other timelines.